Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. Stephanie, we're having a, a baby shower right afterwards. Everyone's invited. We're going to go downstairs. We're going to eat some good food. We're going to celebrate them. And uh, what a what an exciting time, right? Yeah. Not too far away. I apologize for for KJ's attire that he wore up here to uh, to pray to Jesus in a shirt that has a stain on it. It looks like. That's okay. All right. Um, you can be opening your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm not going to do anything with that right at this moment, okay? But you can just kind of be there, uh, and we will be getting to that place. Before we go any further, let's pray, and uh, then we will dive into uh, to our lesson. Father, um, I pray uh, for your uh, words, your spirit. Father, I pray um, that uh, you uh, are um, are expressed above all else, Father, that, um, that we see you in the scripture, that we learn about you. We want to be, um, be humble. We want to be your apprentices. We want you to teach us. Uh, Father, please show us um, the areas to change and where we need to grow. And God, thank you that you are gentle and kind and loving. And uh, Father, I pray uh, for soft hearts. I pray that we're useful to you, God, in your kingdom. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So if you're joining us, last week we started a uh, really a kickoff to our fall, um, the fall season that we're in. And the series is essentially just entitled this, is what did he mean? Meaning, what did, what did God mean? Or what did Jesus mean when he said things? And isn't it easy to be in church our whole lives, possibly? And we can sit in these seats, because I've done this, I know this is possible, and have no idea what Jesus meant when he said certain things. We've all... We've all experienced this, either in church or, or her, you know, you've heard somebody preach a sermon or read the Bible and like, I, I don't know what that means. What, what is that supposed to mean? And we're starting out in the most foundational way we could possibly begin, which is this idea of the gospel of the kingdom. And, and, and again, if you weren't here with us last week, I get to, I get to extend my plea to you, okay? And what that is, is that you're willing to set aside what your opinion may be 
what you even think the answer may be. Right? These are words that I would imagine that a lot of us have heard before. We've heard the word gospel and probably heard the word kingdom before. And it sounds very churchy when you put it all together. The gospel of the kingdom. And, and as a minister, one of the things that I'm, when I'm ever around other ministers, I hear these words thrown around. Right? So, like, for instance, tomorrow I may find myself in a coffee shop somewhere. And that would be weird, probably, right? But I may find myself in the coffee shop, and there may be other ministers there. And you'll hear conversations like, wow, can I tell you how many people responded to the gospel? And, and I feel like a meanie, because I'm going, dude, what do you mean by that? Right? But believe me, there's like certain etiquette. You can't just say that, right? Have you, like... I, I sit there and everybody's like, man, that's awesome. I, I love that he just said that. How many people respond to the gospel? That is so cool. That is like the greatest thing in the world. But I wonder what he means. What do we mean when we say that? Would Jesus ever say that? Did he say it? Did he say it the way that we think he said it? Right? And so we're talking about the gospel of the kingdom. And this was our passage, Mark 1, verse 14. After John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching not the good news of God, but the gospel of God. The time is fulfilled, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. And so we're trying to shed some things, and sometimes it's difficult to shed things that we hold very dear. Yeah. One of them is gospel. Is well, it's good news. Okay, well, good news like to who? Right? Because it can go, well, what good news is, is when I go to church and we say things that I like to hear, that's good news. I, I like to feel like I'm connected with God. That's good news. Or even good news is that Jesus came and died for our sins. And man, that's good news. Except that's not what he's talking about here. So let me give you a second to ingest that. Like, let that sit for a second. You may be going, whoever invited you to come to this church, you're looking at him right now, going, where's the door? Okay, because he just walked all over all kinds of sacred. Because I know the gospel means good news. And it means the good news is Jesus came and died for us. Oh, that, that describes the guy. And let me keep connecting some dots here. It's very, very easy for us to make the kingdom of God our kingdom. Yeah. Oh, he came and died for me. Like it's individualistic. It's, man, it was just, it was me, and he did this so I could go and then live a really good life. Except gospel, what the word means, what, what it is, is. In the case of the Bible, is the king is here. The king has been like, like, listen, interrupting history for centuries. And he's been sending priests and prophets and kings, and he's been doing, but there's something that's happened, right? Is the king has actually emerged in the flesh in Jesus. Okay? The, the king is here, and he's gonna be crowned when he is died and risen again. He is going to be crowned with all authority 
The kingdom of God is here. It's simply an announcement. So when you said, did you accept the gospel? Man, lots of people, man, they accepted the gospel. Like, they responded to the gospel. I'm like, hold up a minute, man. I mean, this is a pretty substantial theme here. And, and I would even wonder if that could happen in its immediacy. Right? Can it? Yes, certainly. But I think it requires some thought on our part. Okay, if the king's here, okay, that means he's in charge of something. And in the kingdom, there's a way of life. There's a code, so to speak. There's a way of life, so it's important to know what is that way of life. So when Jesus said, you know, repent for the kingdom of God has come near, or he said, uh, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe. He, he told us to do something, and we you can go back and listen to last week's sermon if you'd like to have more information on that. But if you ever thought in your life that there is nothing you have to do, to be in the kingdom of God, you have lost your mind. Okay? Because the Bible clearly says it. It's absolutely clear. And why I'm asking us here at the Clemson Foothills Church to drop our opinions of this is that, is that we can't participate in the kingdom and expect the results of the kingdom when we're in charge of the kingdom. We don't get to dictate the terms and how they're used. And we don't get to do that and then say, man, I hope a lot of people get saved. I hope a lot of people come to love God. We don't get to do that. We have to enter into this agreeing with God and believing not in him, but believing that he's right. He's right about what he said. He's right about how we should live in his kingdom. He's right about what happens when we live in the world. He's right about that. And the beautiful thing about this is that he's saying the kingdom is available to everyone. The kingdom is absolutely available. And, and he's telling us, listen, I need you to trust me and come in and become my apprentice. That, that's his call, Matthew 4, 19. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Come and trust me and become my apprentice and I will make you into something in this kingdom. Okay, this is where we were. This is the scripture or the, the slide, I'm sorry, that we used. Uh, we stopped that on Sunday. We, we went back to this on Thursday at midweek. And so my encouragement is, Make midweek a thing in your, in your calendar, okay? Because we're going back to this and doing some teaching and trying to dig a little bit deeper theologically into what is he meaning and what does that mean for our lives? And we talked about this idea of repentance that he commanded us to do. He commanded us to think differently. In fact, he's saying, I want you to, I want you to think about how you think and then be conformed to how God thinks about everything, about priorities and things and time and money. We, we've probably all like been on a pedestal of some sort of, maybe a soapbox of some sort at some point, like, like just talking about the state of our world. I mean, it doesn't take a preacher to do that. 
Right? We all probably have about the, the rampant materialism in our world. Right? The, the rampant, like the sexuality, the amount of money. I mean, we live in a capitalistic world, man, and our money is thrown all over the place. And, and we're, all of us, here's the part that's challenging going into the kingdom is we very well may be using our money in things that we think are necessary, and that money's being used to oppress other people. Right? He's calling us into a kingdom to think about how we think about things. He's not just saying, hey, come in and, and, and try to do the best you can with the greatest technology you have. In fact, I think as we dig in deeper, we're probably going to be called to cast off much more materialism and technology than we feel comfortable doing. Okay? But he's asking us to rethink and to ask and find out how does the king think about relationships and obedience and how we live our life, okay? And so where we ended last week was we wanted to start and we want to end the way Jesus teaches us to go after our own spiritual life. And he teaches us in, in Matthew chapter 6, one of the things that he tells us guys is that when you pray, here's how I want you to pray. And it isn't just to remember these words and to say them over and over and over again, but he gives us the words of surrender. And he gives us the words of desire. And he gives us the words of trust. And he gives us words that we may never come up with on our own to talk to God about. And so the, the question is, what we slept off on was, rather than how can you go home and fix yourself? over this last week, and how can you go home and feel real terrible about yourself, is at, like start entering into this every single day, this prayer. And I want you to think, is that what happened? Might be the simplest thing in the world that you could ever be asked to do. Right? No one was asked to go and confess to somebody. No one was asked to go and like completely change everything about yourself or to do something. But simply go to God. This way. So that's where we're starting now. Okay, that's where we ended last week. But when we're thinking of the gospel of the kingdom, when we're thinking of the king, I think we have to begin asking ourselves, am I going to do it the way he's asked me to do it? Or do we have a better way or a different way, okay? And so here's the thing. If you're visiting with us right now, fantastic. I'm not saying that you're just off the hook here with this lesson, all right? I'm not saying that in any way, but here's what I do know, that this message today is for those who call the Clemson Foothills Church home. Okay, it's very easy to go, hey, y'all come into our house and be like us. And then you wanna know what? You can come in here and really make a challenging sermon and it's gonna challenge you. And we can say all of these things and, and here's what can happen. And, and you go, well, how do you know this? Because I know me. I know how I do things, and I know how my friends do things, and I know, because we've talked to people, is it's very easy 
when you go, but I'm in the Clemson Foothills Church. I go to church every week. I go, I'm involved. I really want to do the right thing. And it's very easy to go. So therefore, we've been grandfathered into everything that Jesus said. Okay? What, what do I mean by that? All right? Uh, we have a really great example um, in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, well, who do you say I am? Is that the Peter? Well, he says it to his guys. Who do you say I am? And, and don't you love that section where Peter goes, you're the Christ. You're, you are him, man. And Jesus is in it. And Jesus is telling Peter, no one even taught you that. That's what's so great about you giving this answer. And it, I love that section. And we love that section. And it's fantastic. But here's the interesting thing. Just because Peter said it doesn't mean that we believe it too. I think it's really easy to go, well, he said it, and I think it's really neat, so therefore I mean it that way too. Except here's the fascinating thing is, is like what we agree on verbally, and even the answers we give, really in the end of the day aren't saying much because what Peter said is Peter said, I answered it right. And then Peter revealed himself further as to what he truly believed. Because when Jesus said, okay, now Jesus began telling them, I have to go and die now. Like, you're going to watch me. I'm going to suffer for this. And I'm going to be crucified for this. And Peter goes, hold up a minute. No, you aren't. Right? Right answer. Nowhere right belief. All right? Peter had assumed he is the king. Like, you're the king. Why do I say that? We do that. But I go to church, and I'm a member of all these things. He's king. Who do you say I am? I say he's the Christ and he's the Lord and he's all of those things. And then I can walk out of here and start having conversations with people that have nothing to do with what the king asked us to do. But, but a lot of times we can go, but it's not bad things we're talking about. You got to understand something. Not being in line with Jesus doesn't mean that you are out there like committing crime and like abusing people and doing all kinds of rottenness. It's just the idea that he isn't king of what you're doing. And that's, that's why to me this message is so important to start asking ourselves, am I living my life in a way where I'm telling Jesus what is good and I'm doing that? And because it isn't evil, he should therefore accept my teaching. Or are we coming to the king and going, I'm an apprentice. Just make me into what you want to make me. And teach me the things that I'm off on. And show me my stubbornness and show me these things. I'm just an apprentice. And I'm not coming to you with anything good even. I'm just, I trust that your way is right, but I need help to do it. And I don't know what the kingdom way is in every single circumstance. Right? And so, again, I really want it, man. If you're calling this home to just hunker down into this as we look at this, okay? So, let's begin kind of like connecting this out. Repent and believe the gospel of God. Repent, change how we think, and we spoke about this Thursday, but this was very fascinating. In Matthew chapter four and verse seven, 
when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, this is John the Baptist, when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to the place of his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. Could you imagine going to that church? You show up. The man is just baptizing people in the river. It's like, can you imagine the celebration? Just people coming in and being baptized. And then you have this group of guys come in. And the dude doing the baptizing, he stops everything. And he goes, yeah, y'all up there. I don't want to point just to one side because why'd you point at me? Okay, y'all up there. Okay. <laughs> you brood of vipers. And he says this, who warns you to even come here? Okay. Like, oh my goodness. But he asks him, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? How did you hear about what we're doing? So you're thinking, maybe John the Baptist got some anger things going on there that he's got to deal with, okay? I don't know. I know what he said here, but he says this. And he really challenges these guys who are the religious elite. And, and in our day, the religious elite, it's very subjective, generally. Mine and your definition of religious elite is usually anyone who's not us. Okay, so, right? I mean, it, it's kind of like everyone has that other person. Go, oh, that's the, those guys right there. Those hypocrites, man. I mean, those guys. He says, produce fruit consistent with changing the way you think. He said, you can't come here and run away from some wrath you thought you heard the warning from and get in this water and walk away from here. You do not think you can do this if you are not going to show fruit consistent with the change of thinking that you have. And here's the interesting thing about fruit. Is, has anybody here ever bought the fruit tree, the invisible fruit tree? Where there's fruit, but you can't see it, you just have to take a guess and like just start pulling things. Have you ever seen that fruit tree? Right? It's, but in Christianity, we've invented that fruit tree. Like, no, you could be a fruit tree that has absolutely nothing on it that looks anything like fruit. Oh, man, come on, don't judge me, man. My, my fruit tree is just, it's different. it doesn't make me look like fruit. It just looks like leaves. No, that's not a fruit tree. He said produce fruit. That means that you can see. It's, it's seeable. Okay? <laughs> that's what it is. I mean, it's like there. And, and boy, I'll tell you what, man. There's all kinds of pushback about this because it's like, oh, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm not even going to try to even imagine the arguments. I just know all of them that have been in my own mind. Huh. Right? Oh, so that's how it is. So you're not going to let somebody do this until, man, they look like they've done something and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and let me realign us here. He isn't saying, think differently. Now show me how you're a good moral person now. He's 
actually saying repentance actually does produce fruit. Like true repentance, like when I think differently about me not being the king and him being the king, and I'm going, I want to be in his kingdom and I want to be his apprentice, and you came to me and spent some time with me and nothing showed in any way, shape, or form that that change of thinking had been made, then it's a really good chance it didn't get made. Something should look different. Something should be produced. In e as we, we look at 2 Corinthians 7, in eagerness, in indignation, a desire to like be cleared and a desire for like, like a humble desire for things to change. And so again, I just, not to overstate this verse, I want to let that kind of sit. If nothing else, as a tool of examination this week, that's what, as a tool of examination, you go, what like what fruit has come from me thinking differently? I'm going to share on Thursday, I'm going to kind of go through um, just to be honest with you, my last couple of weeks in my life, okay? And just to, just to highlight this a little bit further, uh, but the fruit uh, in so many ways uh, that comes out is how we treat people. And what do our relationships look like? How have things changed in the way that I go about my day around other people? Let's turn to Ephesians 1. What do I want to accomplish with going to Ephesians? We're like, oh my goodness, Keith, we just, we're like right here at Mark. And like now we're going to go jump into Ephesians for a reason. Is we have a letter that is one of, one of the most profound New Testament letters. And at the same time, one of the most lightly studied, misunderstood. I shared this story with you guys before. Um, I, there was um, there was a, a man in, in my life years and years and years ago, and he made the statement. He said, "Here's what I know to be true um, about Christians, about people who have read their Bible. You're either an Ephesians one through three person, or you're an Ephesians four through six person." And and that made me angry. <laughs> I'm really angry. And I remember thinking it, and I may have even said it. This isn't beyond the realm of possibility here. Okay? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Okay? And the, the reason, and then, so, as I was defending myself over the next week in my quiet times, if you've ever done that before, let me study the Bible to find out why I'm right. And they're wrong. Okay? As I'm going through it, I realize I didn't know a single verse from Ephesians 1, 2, or 3. But I knew a lot from 4, 5, and 6. I was like, man, I, 
I said, if that guy wasn't as dumb as he is, he might have been right about this, okay? <laughs> but it wasn't my fault, okay? <laughs> so here's the, let me just kind of bring that together here is, are, are you one or the other? I think in reality we can be, should we? No. We should be feeding one through six people. But I can guarantee you that joker hit me between the eyes because I was like, four through six is my jam. You know why? Because four through six is where that's when you get told what to do. The whole, you know, do all these things. Do this and do that and do that and do that. And I'm like, I'm good at that. Like, okay, that's good, man. I mean, put it in a spreadsheet. That's great. Let's go. I'm ready to go and show my Christianity to the world. Okay? Except there's this idea that we've been talking about here of the gospel of the kingdom. In the words of Paul here, but I think they speak so much more like intensely than we could put them into words. And so um, we're, at, we're not going to start at verse 15. We're going to just start there and right up there in, in verse 1. So Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus and in Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. We're not going to get very far in this. I'm just going to tell you. But what I want to point out to you is the kingdom language. I want to point that out because we're going to miss out on an amazingly important point if we read this and go, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we go, well, Christ was his last name. But it wasn't his, that's not a last name. It's a title. It's King Jesus. Anytime we hear that, anytime we see it written, understand we're hearing the terminology King Jesus. Right? That hopefully will land differently because I do think in our world today, like Jesus Christ is just like, it, there's no meaning behind it. it it's, I think for the most part, it's like holy and it's all that. But the truth of the matter is, is we may not read it this way. Praise the God and Father of our, of, of King Jesus, who has blessed us in his kingship with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. What do you think about this king? What do you think about this king? He, this is a good king right here. And Paul's saying, praise him. And he says this, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He's talking to, his, to Christians in Ephesus. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We just got an idea of what kingdom life is right there. He said he chose us, okay? It wasn't just, he didn't open up the market and say like, kingdom of God. And there's really neat things in here. He's actually like, no, man, I'm telling you, there's a specific reason why I want you. Okay. He said, uh, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Okay. And the question we have to ask ourselves, how did he do that? In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favor and will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with in the beloved. So it gets better. 
He had a plan. Isn't that great? Isn't that fantastic that God isn't a procrastinator? Isn't it it fantastic that he was like, oh, is it Pentecost already? Oh, man, what do I do now? What do we do? Oh, my goodness. All I got is Peter, and and now I'm stuck with this guy. No, 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 no. No, that's not it. He's like, as we read this, it should just be like, and and again, I get it. Here and now. Right here, sitting here listening to a sermon. My expectation isn't that everybody's going to be like fawning over themselves and, oh my goodness. But again, these are the tools to take with you because as the dots are connected, right, we're going to allow God to do his work. Okay. But we have to begin hearing it in, in his way. He predestined us to be adopted through his favor uh, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with. Verse 7. We have redemption in him through the blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he planned in him for the administration of the days of fulfillment to bring everything together in the Messiah, which is the anointed one. Jews anointed prophets and priests and kings. That's who Jesus is, too. To bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. It's good to ask questions. We need to ask questions. Let's ask different questions than have always been asked in Christianity. Okay. In, in this passage right here, the original hearers, okay, they would not have heard this as a means to how to get saved. They wouldn't have. I'm not trying to make it sound bad. It's better when you read it the way it's supposed to be read. But he isn't here trying to answer that question. He's praising God, the king. Unfortunately, our like tribal mentality in Christianity is we have a question. How can I get saved? 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 And then there's this really weird concept that we don't seem to grasp onto is what it means to praise God. Yeah. Because we just want to know how to be saved. How do you get saved? How do I get saved? How do you get saved? But he's not even answering that question here. He's telling us the nature of the kingdom of God. And we, we, we've got to stop long enough. And he said, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He's the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. All right? This is some pretty, like, these are great words. These help me when I read these words. I'm going, oh my goodness, this is what's fantastic about it. And and we zero in on verse 13, the gospel of your salvation, the gospel, gospel of salvation, gospel of salvation. I'm going, hold up a minute. We, if we don't understand the king, we can't get to that place. Yeah. If we don't know the kingdom, like what is the kingdom for? What's this meaning, okay? And then Paul, for, for the next five verses, Paul says, this is, I prayed for you to the Ephesian church. He says, I prayed for you guys. 
that you would know more and more and that your mind would be enlightened further and this calling and all of these things. And then in verse 20, it says he demonstrated his power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and title given. That, that's kingdom language right there. That he was elevated above everything we can think of, not only in this age, but in the one to come, and he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. And he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. What's he saying? There's this, there is this battle that continues. There's the kingdom and there's the world. And the world has its way of doing things and the kingdom has its way of doing things. And prior to entering the kingdom of God, we lived in the kingdom of the world, under the authorities of the world, under the authorities of evil, under all of these things. And what we did is we lived in, the, in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts and all that stuff, flesh. Flesh just, fleshly stuff. That's just kind of a weird word. But he's saying we were given the idea that we could be kings of our lives. So that what we wanted and what we saw and what we desired and how we wanted to live was actually our control. He said we all live that way, but God, who is rich in mercy, verse 4, these are good things, okay, if, if you don't know this about God. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, here's what he did, made us alive with the Messiah, the anointed one, even though we were dead in trespasses. Okay? This is better than how do I get saved. This is better, okay? This is right here. You were dead, and now you get to be alive. That, I don't mean that symbolically. I know we say that in church too. But, but search your own soul on that one. Because we can say we're alive, but if we're not, you know if you're not. You know if it's just like your faith is dead. And it's just like, Jesus, we need coming to get to try getting around these people. Man, oh, here we go. Somebody's telling me what I gotta do now. Like, like walking dead, except we go to church. Okay? He said, no, no. He, he brought us to life through his spirit. That life, not symbolic life, but life. Like vibrant, not, and again, understand what I'm saying, okay? I'm not saying that all of a sudden you go from introversion to extroversion. 
you, you go from shy to like, if I'm not up there, like, like you know, screaming and hollering. No, no, he didn't bring you to hyperactivity. Right? There's a lot of different personality types in here. Extroversion, introversion, hybrid. I know you guys have probably 25 different things and all different kinds of letters. You figured out what you are on the internet, A, B, C, F, M, Gs, and all of these different things to, to say who we are, okay? But, but here's the thing about this. None of those brought you to life. None of them did, okay? But he said in his kingdom, we're brought to life. Although we were dead, you're saved by grace. Careful with this one. That's how I get saved. You're saved by grace. Yeah, you're allowed entry into the kingdom in a way that you couldn't earn and I couldn't earn. That's all that means. It's not giving us any methodology. He's just saying, hey, you, you, it was his grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens. Goodness gracious. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And we're going, yes, we finally got to where every church needs to get to. And this is not from yourself. It's a gift of God. And, and this is almost like, I don't know, in different churches, Sunday schools, they make you memorize this verse right here. So if anybody ever makes you think about if you're a Christian or not, you go, saved by grace. That's not what I'm about. Slow down and read what it's saying. Okay? So that it, for you were saved by grace through faith, he's saying you trusted me. And I gave you something that you didn't deserve to have, okay? Like I did that for you so you can't say it was from you. He goes, this isn't from yourself, it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. And, and go, well, Keith, you said it right there, man. You can't do anything and enter the kingdom of God. He's saying this, gift, this grace was given not to not be able to do anything, but that there's no merit that we could ever have to go because we've reached a righteousness that he deserves to bring us in the kingdom. <laughs> like we, we deserve it. Look at how good we've been. That's nothing we can ever say. And that's what he's describing here. Okay. For we are his creation created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Okay. Here's this kingdom idea right here again. Okay. So again, we look at this and we're going, oh man, okay. Uh, we are his creation. All right. I love Genesis 1. I love Genesis 2. God says, I'm creating people. And I created people and I gave them a job to do. And I told you, listen, here's what I want you to do. And he's very specific. Okay. And he says, this is the same for us. We are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared ahead of time. So we should walk in. We're going to end at this spot right here. But I want you to ask yourself this question. When was the last time you asked God what he means by good works? Because here's my example, and I'm using my example of me. My definition of good works are all of the things I do that aren't bad things. 
and that are fairly comfortable for me to achieve. Right, so be nice to your mailman. Be nice to public workers. I love public workers. They're the best. They're so kind to everybody. And so do a good work, would you people? Be nice to them. <laughs> your good works, you may have a whole different list of the good works. Well, I went out and I, I raked my neighbor's yard. That's the good works that he said ahead of time. And again, I bring this up for one reason. Has there ever been a time we've asked him what he means by good works? Because we end up feeling very good about ourselves because we've decided I'm doing good works and that's what he meant and that's what I'm doing and that's how I'm doing it. And I'm thankful to be a part of a community of faith of people, we do good things. I'm thankful for that. But the question here really is, God, what are your good works? Because he doesn't, he doesn't inspire Paul to write verse after verse after verse about messiahs and kings and kingdoms and how he lives and all that kind of stuff to, to put there on the end, go be a good person in this world. He doesn't do that. He's describing there is something you've been created for that is about his kingdom on this earth. About being in partnership with him and his kingdom on this earth. Not just going out and deciding how I think we should do evangelism, how I think we should do things. How this is what makes sense, so this is how we should be doing it. But working in concert with God. What do you want us to do? A helpful prayer is that I'm praying that I can join God in the work he's doing already. Too often, it's very easy to think I'm the one bringing in the good work. And then God starts working. What if in humility we decided to begin asking him, how can I join you in the work you're doing? What is the work you're doing in my household right now? Unless he's forgot about us. There's work to be done. How can I join you in the work you're doing in my children and with me and my spouse in my home? How can I join you in the work that you're doing in my neighborhood? You're doing a work that requires workers. So... Are you doing good things? Am I doing good things? Yes. Does that mean that you're just rotten if you're just doing good things? Absolutely not. Don't feel bad about those things, okay? It's, it's better to be good than evil, I think, okay? That's probably like a good rule of thumb. But what we're talking about here and what we're going to be leaping off of from here is the idea of inhumility. Is not just keep deciding what the good work is, but asking for discernment of what is the work you're doing that is kingdom work. That is opening up this availability of your kingdom for people to be able to join you in it. What is that work? What's going on at my place of work? What's going on in my classroom? What's going on? Like, could you imagine that God is doing a work? If you're a student right now, could you imagine that God is doing a work right now in one of your teachers? Right? The person that you hate and the person who's stupid. 
Nobody's ever called them that, I'm sure. We've never done that in here, okay? Except it seems like that's happened. But anyway, is, is could you imagine God's going, I'm doing a work in your teacher's life, the person you walk by three times a week for 16 weeks and never say a word to. I'm doing a work in your neighbor's life. I'm doing a work in your marriage that is just not even seen as a portion of the kingdom. Right? These are the questions. These are the questions we want to be asked. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.